Hello and welcome to this episode of Before Economics, the history of political economy. An absolutely central topic of economic debate today is intervention. The essence of the issue is whether or not the state can effectively intervene in the economic life of a nation and, if it can, under which conditions. In fact, most economists think of the history of their discipline as a retreat from the confidence of Keynesianism regarding intervention to the scepticism of monetarism and its progeny. Today's economics is therefore the outcome of two movements, the so-called Keynesian revolution that trumpeted intervention and the monetarist counter-revolution that rolled back the frontiers of the state in favour of free markets. Today's thinker, Sir James Stewart, allows us to see that the precondition for posing this debate is to think of state and economy as separate domains. For Stuart did not, and the question of intervention was never posed. Instead, it was simply assumed that the statesman would need to be constantly acting on the state to keep it from falling apart. The state was not natural or self-regulating, but an artefact of the statesman's meticulous attention. Here is Dr. Keith Tribe. Now, James Stewart's book was a very uh, different kind of work. It wasn't dedicated to the idea of how to make a nation wealthy, but in a sense, how to best arrange and organize an existing state. It has the idea of a prince or a statesman, in a sense, supervising a state in the same way that a large family would be supervised, in a very classical tradition, the way of thinking about this. The image of the statesman in Stuart's book is doubled by uh, the image of a watchmaker. The idea that the economic mechanism, if you like, of a society is like a watch which is always in danger of going wrong and that the watchmaker has to keep on intervening to simply keep it on time. And this whole idea that the economic system is not itself self-managing in the way that Smith suggested with the model he developed from theory of moral sentiments by human action. Stuart has a very different idea of a society which, in order to function, has to be well-governed. This classical conception of the government of a polity on the model of a family is clearly stated by Stuart in the following passage. What economy is in a family, political economy is in a state, with these essential differences, however that in a state there are no servants, all are children, that a family may be formed when and how a man pleases, and he may establish what plan of economy he thinks fit. But states are found formed, and the economy of these depends upon a thousand circumstances. This is an example of patriarchal thinking, not in the sense that we tend to use the word patriarchal today to indicate an illegitimate structure of power benefiting men, but in the sense that it simply took for granted the idea that men would govern women and children and from here developed detailed prescriptions and precepts. What led Stuart to think of political economy in these terms? The answer lies in the Scottish political experience of the mid-18th century, defined by the failed Jacobite rebellion that attempted to return the Stuart dynasty to power. It failed, but not before Stuart had been won to its cause while on his grand tour and then returned home to help in its execution. The price was exile. Keith Tribe again. Stuart was a Jacobite. He was on the losing side of the Jacobite rebellion of 1744-1745. And as a result, was exiled to France. He went into exile for several years. 
And it was while he was in Tübingen in the early 1760s, uh, early one well, in the 1750s, that he started to write this book. And it bears very strongly the marks of contemporary German thinking, which uh, were precisely along this line, that uh, the society or social order was something which was always in danger of going wrong. And you had to have someone intervening in order to make sure that everything ran right, in order for people to realise uh, their own welfare. They had to be governed actively in order to maximise their welfare. This wasn't something that happened naturally. And so the whole kind of plan and arguments which uh, Stuart uh, developed in his book written in English actually is interesting because it's probably the only serious reflection in English language literature of the very extensive German writing that appeared during the 18th century. So Stuart's exile led him to absorb a foreign intellectual culture and then import it to Britain. What did he think was the purpose of this German-inspired political economy? Stuart stated that his text was created by his having extracted the principles of the science from observation and reflection. But the meaning of science should not be assimilated to our understanding today, for at least two reasons. First, principles were to be tested by the political economist applying them to examples, and thus avoiding abstraction as much as possible. Stuart admitted that the result would not be analytical elegance, but prolixity. Second, Stuart's aim was neither theoretical novelty nor the formation of a system. Instead, his goal was to serve the reasoning of the statesman who would benefit from a knowledge of the principles of political economy, even if the art of applying such principles in concrete cases would be complicated by the existence of peculiar laws, manners, property regimes, and so on. This meant that the utility of general principles would be severely limited. To use Stuart's words, principles, however universally true, may become quite ineffectual in practice. It was for this reason that systems were dangerous. Those with lively minds would reason to discover causal connections, but when they did so in relation to a living society, an author's vivacity might inhibit them from taking into account the various circumstances that make the consequences of actions uncertain. The pleasurable discovery of principles encouraged simplification and the neglect of the art of application. The temptation to build a system only amplified this neglect. This required that prudential disciplines were imposed on both the political economist and the statesman when it came to applying principles to practice. For systems, Stuart claimed, could mislead the understanding and efface the path to truth. One can only wonder what Stuart would make of today's general equilibrium models. Just as there was no natural order in society, neither was there a natural process of trade occurring between states. The idea of leaving the world's trade to freely govern itself, as we tend to recommend today under the banner of free trade, was unthinkable. Instead, Stuart figured the statesman as the captain of a ship and Europe states as locked in a high-stakes race for survival. As he wrote, The trading nations of Europe represent a fleet of ships, everyone striving who shall first get to a certain port. The statesman of each is the master. The same wind blows upon all, and this wind is the principle of self-interest which engages every consumer to seek the cheapest and the best market. No trade wind can be more general or more constant than this. The natural advantages of each country represent the degree of goodness of each vessel, but the master who sails his ship with the greatest dexterity, and he who can lay his rivals under the lee of his sails, will undoubtedly get before them and maintain his advantage. As Stuart's Principles of Political Economy was written with materials sourced from the continent, so was it best received there. During the 1770s, the text was twice translated into German and into French in 1789. 
His text outcompeted Smith's Wealth of Nations in Europe until the turn of the century, largely because he took for granted the necessity of intervention. This episode of Before Economics was brought to you by the European Society for the History of Economic Thought, written and spoken by me, Dr Ryan Walter, at the University of Queensland. Special thanks to Keith Tribe. The audio engineer was Ni Adepoyebi. 